your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that's more dishevelled than a no-deal Brexit Sponsored by Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape's a satisfying to say Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape, say it to start the day Ooh, I remember that, that's a 90s product, that, or early noughties um, um, Yeah, but it's coming It's coming back with a vengeance um, longer, t- longer tape, more width as well, apparently So, And um, mm. a, a, a larger variety of flavours I don't know, were there that many flavours when it first was around? I think it was like, um, I think it was just strawberry. Yeah, I think so. Time. I think now they're throwing in some banana. Uh, nice. Cookie dough, which is controversial. Cookie dough? Wow, well, yeah, yeah, that is controversial. Did you ever try and uh, put the full roll in your mouth when you were a kid? Um, almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't have a vivid memory of it, but I think I probably will have done, yeah. I feel I feel like there was a legend going around our school that one kid died when he tried doing that. <laughs> So, you know, everyone had to try it anyway. Um, so you probably could have choked on it, but yeah. you could do that with any any chewing gum. We're not going to suggest that Hubba Bubba is any more dangerous than standard non-digestible chewing gum. Um, you're here for Stick Around um, Films anyway. Just a two-man job today. Uh, you know, cut, cut the crap. Um, yeah, I'm Alex Wayne, and he's Clive Fisher. Hi, hi. Um, we've got a few new films to talk about. It's... In a fairly quiet section of the year, in terms of summer blockbusters have ended and we're gearing up towards kind of the big awards season films at the end. We do tend to get quite a few good indies at this time of year, so mm, yeah, we'll see I mean, it goes. I was just going to say, this is, I think this is like a bad period to be a card holder of a chain. I'm not going to name the name, it's different to yours though. Um, of a chain that, <laughs> of like a mainstream cinema chain, because... I'm like, oh, there's all this good stuff coming out, and then I look at their list, and I'm just like, you're just showing shite. It's really frustrating. <laughs> like they're showing yes. loads of new stuff, but it's always stuff that's like terribly reviewed and does not sound interesting. And I'm just like, ah, I'm slightly regretting because I, I signed up when it was like the Oscar season. I was like, oh yeah, they're showing all the indie stuff, but obviously it was the indie Oscar nominated stuff. And yeah. Since that's disappeared, they just don't seem to be able to. Don't want to show good stuff. They just want to show. So I've ended up having to go to the the independent. Uh, well, actually, the one I'm a part of is independent, but it's quite mainstream. Um, I've been going to the other independent cinema to watch the stuff that I actually want to watch because there is there is quite a lot of stuff coming out, good stuff. But you just have to dig a bit. It's just a bit frustrating yeah. that they don't at least give it like a, sh- a couple of showings or, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's still a few decent films out um, or have been out. Um, but what you tend to find when you have one of those cards is you get real m- value for money around um, December, January, February and March. Then yeah, you get definitely. really good value in the summer. And then you've got to kind of just get what you can the rest of the year, mm-hmm. which usually still works out. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm keeping that tally. At the minute, I'm still on track. So <laughs> as long I've as I do two a month, seen, it works out. I've already seen 30 films this year okay, well. on my card. Cool. So I'm well in well in profit as such. Have yeah. I seen them all anyway? <laughs> anyway, let's get things kicked off. Uh, Clive's going to tell us about one of his wonderful indies, or maybe it's not so wonderful. We'll see. Clive, what have you got for us? <laughs> um, I'm going to start with. I'm just going to have two seconds to adjust my headphones to put my guitar down because I've got myself in a bit of a tangle. <laughs> um, right, I'm back. I have got, uh, to start with, a film called Minding the Gap, which um, I can't say I'd heard of until I went on... I'm on a a site called Letterboxd. It's a bit like IMDb, but in my opinion, better, where you kind of review things and uh, catalogue what you watched, etc. And I went on there and there was like a, you know, top 50 rated films of 2018 so far. Um, And this film was right near the top and I was like, I hadn't heard of it. So I clicked on it and uh, was immediately sold when I found out it was a skateboard documentary. Um, <laughs> mm. So I endeavoured to find this and um, discovered that it had been shown at um, Sheffield Dockfest in July, which I kind of remember seeing the poster actually, but I missed it. And um, it's now pretty hard to find, but it is currently on Hulu, which you can get a free trial of if you 
um, use a, like a VPN in England. Uh, just a bit of a tip for you there. Um, so <laughs> you, you can you can watch it that way, and I'm sure it's also available via via even more nefarious means. But um, Minding the Gap is a documentary film by Bing Lu, who's um, directing a series at the minute called, I think, America to Me, but um, is generally a cameraman on various high-profile films. I think he's done uh, camera work on uh, Transcendence, uh, Jupiter Ascending, which uh, I've heard was terrible, but I'm sure it wasn't because of the camera work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Might have been good camera work, just bad writing, bad performing. Who knows? I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, I've not seen it either, but I've not... can't say I've heard any complaints about the camera work, so I'm sure that was fine. Um, the documentary is based in Bing's hometown of Rockford, um, which is like a de- declining Rust Belt town in Illinois. Uh, job- jobs are drying up. There's kind of widespread depravity. It's there's like a, a radio section through um, sort of that plays over the top of it at one point that says um, in 2015 more people left Rockford than any other town in um, Illinois, which kind of. Uh, <laughs> illustrates what's uh, happening there i suppose um it focuses on bing's childhood bing um the director like i've mentioned bing's childhood um friend zach and zach's friend kier as well as uh, bing himself they're the kind of three main characters in the film i suppose or not really characters because they're real uh, people in the film um the three skateboard um, and talk um, about skateboarding as a family that they choose one that actually kind of looks out for them unlike their own families Essentially, the film's about growing up and uh, navigating the gap, hence the name, um, I think, between childhood and adulthood, um, which is always a fascinating topic for me because I think it's such a weird um, thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just such a kind of a, such a big step and one that certain people seem to navigate with grace or at least pretend to while other people uh, mm. are not so, myself included, other people uh, kind of stumble uh, <laughs> through the gap and get lost, I suppose. Bing himself, um, Zach and Kier, were all um, physically abused as children by their um, dads slash um, stepdads in some cases, um, which is a common theme throughout the documentary. I don't believe when Bing started the documentary that was the the kind of angle he was going for, but it became evident that it was something he should focus on because of the fact that he he had suffered with it and both the other children had... um, Both the other friends of his had also suffered with this as kids... um, in their dad's homes. Um, so it's kind of a, a common theme throughout the documentary about how this affects you and also trying to, I suppose, explain it to some extent uh, as to why it happens and that kind of thing. Although it's not, it's definitely not a documentary about that. That's just kind of, the. I'd say it's the main theme throughout it, but it's about so many different things and I think that's what I really like about it. Um, it this kind of ties in with the idea of masculinity, which I think is covered in the film a lot. Um, a lot of the abuse suffered seems to be because they weren't considered man enough, uh, you know, didn't work hard enough, all that kind of crap. And, and you know, the parents, the, the dad's kind of running a very conservative household. You must be a man, you must. <laughs> the two characters besides Bing deal with it um, in very different ways. Zach, in a way, kind of falls down the gap that I've mentioned, while, while Kier is a bit more kind of careful. The film is shot absolutely beautifully. The skateboarding sequences, which I believe is um, something... I think it's kind of like how Bing started his career. Um, are shot really, really beautifully. Um, it kind of follows the, them all skating. And I really love... I've always had a bit of a love for... Not skateboarding footage where it's like, quick trick, next trick, next trick, um, all cut together, but where you just watch someone like... Um, skating for you know 10 minutes non-stop and doing tricks and not falling off do you know what i mean <laughs> and yeah, yeah i've always you. found that really i've always found that really engaging and uh, there's plenty of that in here and um, there's a really really beautiful kind of low-key but definitely emotional emotion stirring uh, soundtrack which is fantastic throughout the film um, it's it uses kind of the same song quite a lot but i think that's a really effective way to kind of um anchor the story i suppose um, Bing edits, and it's mentioned by Zach uh, during the film that as kids they always liked the way that um, Bing edited together the the skateboard footage that he took of them, and always made it seem like they were having an absolutely amazing time. And um, he, this that's kind of evident in this film. He edits these kind of immensely uplifting montages of which um, it in parts fit in with the music absolutely brilliantly. And where, there's a part where the music's quite pulsating, and every time it kind of pulses, it's a new, a new scene type thing. And um, there's just uplifting montages of just hanging out and laughing, loads and loads of laughing, loads of just smiling faces, and it's just like it's food for the soul. It was it was completely wonderful. There's moments of 
pure joy in the film with all the skater friends hanging out, escaping from the world. And then there's the kind of heartbreaking real life parts where, for example, Zach struggles to hold together a relationship. Um, once his child is born, um, he's obviously kind of had the child before. He's really ready for it. And it's kind of heartbreaking to see what happens after that. But um I was, this is, I think this is the first time I'd ever happened and I've tweeted about this. Um, I was in tears, like, I'm pretty sure all the way through this film. I'd had, like, a tough week the week before um, and it came kind of at the right time. I found out about it at the right time. Um, But it was just like, some of it was tears of joy and some were tears of sadness. It was just like every time one of these montages come, I was just like a blubbering mess and then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> then there'll be the sad parts and I'll be like oh god and there's there's an interview with Zach in there where he kind of um, falls to pieces about his lack of self-worth and how that's led to his um, various issues which I don't want to go into because I don't want to spoil it but um, <laughs> that I found absolutely heartbreaking and I think it's something that's kind of not talked about enough like I think uh, a lot of people go on about a kind of mental health crisis at the minute but I feel like it's also a self-worth crisis um, I think a lot of the, the mental health issues stem from a lack of self-worth if you go really, really deep down. And certainly that's what I've... <laughs> um, I'm having therapy at the minute for anxiety and stuff at school and that's kind of what's coming out for me as well. So um, certainly very relatable. And I watched it again the other day because I wanted to show it to Beck, and she absolutely loved it too. Um, it's... The character of Kier in it is particularly lovable. I think he's a really, really inspirational character and someone that I'm not going to forget for a long, long time. Um, Zach is far more troubled, um, but you can certainly see why he's ended up like that. Um, It's beautiful, moving, absolutely essential film. It's the first film of the year to get a 10 from me. Um, I think it's absolutely amazing. It's probably going to be my film of the year because I don't know if a film has ever probably even more than Boyhood affected me in <laughs> emotionally in the way this did. And I think it is a lot of the, because, and I think this is the case with a lot of films, it's about coming at the right time, isn't it? And I think this one just did kind of appear exactly when I needed it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, wow. it's okay. really fabulous. Right, uh, yeah, amazing. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've heard the name of this, but um, I hadn't seen it. Um, hmm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to see this now, though. Any film... Oh, I told you. I didn't tell you, by the way. I finally watched one of your film of the years that you were also passionate about, the Florida Project. Oh yeah, yeah, L- loved it. Um, so I'm gonna, but I'm gonna try and make an effort to see this one quicker. Um, is it on streaming devices? It is. Know? Like I say, if you get the Hulu free trial, you can do that. So uh, via, v- via a VPN, that's what I. Did. <laughs> but it's um, I look. I try to look when it's coming out, and it seems to have a. They've got a deal with Hulu. And then I assume they're going to get a deal with someone in Britain, but they just haven't got that far yet. But, um, mm. yeah, it'd be a shame if it does. I'm sure it will come out here, but I'd rather, I think it needs to come out now while there's kind of the buzz about it. So it's a shame. Yeah. It's kind of very yeah. indie, yeah, quite a low budget, I think. So <laughs> might take, but it's, yeah, they need to get it out there, put it on something or make, even just make it so you can download it on the website and pay for it because I think people will be willing to do that. Um, but I guess it's not that easy. <laughs> well, after that kind of endorsement from um, Stick Around's uh, emotional correspondent, um, I'm gonna <laughs> have to. I would have to give that a watch. Um, yeah, that sounds sounds fascinating. Um, as I said, I'd heard the name of it before, but didn't really know much about it. Um, yeah, fascinating. Cool. Suppose it's my turn now, and yeah. uh, that's a hard act to follow. Um, film I'm going to talk about next is not one that hit me emotionally like this, um, but you know I have other opinions. So it's a film called Searching. Uh, it came out about a month ago now. Uh, it's kind of a thriller film directed by Anish Chigantri. Uh, stars John Cho, uh, Michelle La, and Deborah Messing, among a few others. L- largely on the unknown cast. Uh, in for the most part. Um, It's a thriller film which kind of borrows from several other genre pictures in that it's told entirely through a screen. So our entire interactions with the characters are from a computer screen where we can see we are the screen almost looking outwards at the character as they are clicking on um, certain programs, social media, videos, etc. It tells the story about a missing girl uh, played by Deborah Messing. Um, David Kim, he is played by John Cho. He is the dad. He's basically playing detective, trying to find his missing daughter, who went driving 
and just never returned. Um, what happens afterwards is for about three quarters of the film, uh, a really inventive thriller, actually. I went into this with not a huge amount of expectation. Um, it looked kind of uh, almost trashy, but I was interested to see where they went with it. But I was pleasantly surprised, actually. Um, the tension is Hitchcockian at times. And the way it manages to use things that are entirely captured either on a computer screen or CCTV, etc., is never really all that contrived. It seems all fairly legitimate. And the fact that the fact that you can see all of these computer screens or kind of um, social media accounts means you get to play the detective as well. So while the film may be pushing you towards one thing, you're scanning the screen. You can see clues yourself. The film plays with your expectations, drawing you to uh, several conclusions that are not accurate. And I was all on board to call this one of um, the most underrated films of the year, up until the final final quarter. Um, <laughs> I was going to say I sense a but. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the problem with the final quarter is, while the first part of the film all seemed very believable, actually, uh, you know, I could there was nothing in it that was outlandish. As I said, nothing too contrived. The, the last part of the film just has such a twist in it, which is utterly not earned. You know, the oh, character, the, the character that it's involved with, shows no character traits that would expect for you them to have done it, and it just becomes a bit outlandish, a bit stupid. It, it's hard to say without going into detail. I don't want to spoil it because I would, I would still say it was worth a watch. If you you know uh, would like to see something a bit different, which it is, um, but yeah, it really sells itself short um, in the final act. Um, it's an interesting thriller, though. As I said, um, I mean, really, you can look at horror horror films like Unfriended, which is told entirely through a computer screen. But in Unfriended, um, the characters are getting murdered, um, and their friends are watching through social media. But you know, they don't have to be watching, or they, the friends could just get off the computer. Um, which makes it, you know, somewhat unbelievable. But in this, it is believable that if you were doing detective work to find someone, you're not really going to be doing it that much out on the street. You are going to be doing it on social media. We we put our entire lives on there. We uh, we track our own movements. Uh, we log into places on Facebook. Uh, we leave statuses. And especially um, David Kim finds things about his daughter that he didn't really know about her. And he says at one point in the film, look, I didn't actually know her, you know, which is often the case. People are different people online than they are in person. So I think the film had some interesting things to say. And I think it was a really creative thriller, I would say, actually, at that point. And I don't say Hitchcockian lightly. It's a term that's bandied around with any thriller quite often. But I would say that this is, um, it's earned for the most part. Uh, which just makes it all the more disappointing that the ending just it just let it down. Really, I I can just I know exactly how I would have changed the ending as well, which is easy to say as someone who didn't write what was <laughs> otherwise a really good film. Yeah, um, but it wouldn't take a lot to make that film so much better. Ultimately, worth a watch, and I would say um, you know it, it, I didn't come out of the the cinema thinking I'd wasted my time, but. Um, Ooh, so much promise, but didn't quite get there. I mean, had you heard of this at all, Clive? Um, I'd heard of it. Yeah, it sounds. It does sound interesting. It's a shame that, like you say, the last part doesn't quite live up to the promise. But sometimes, I like um, watching films. Sometimes as like, ah, oh, well, though, though, you know, those take out the bits that you think worked. <laughs> those ideas mm. worked, and uh, even if a certain bit didn't work so well, you still take something from it. Yeah, I mean, what surprised me most of all was, um, well, first of all, like I said, how uncontrived it was, how much it worked, and how I didn't get tired of, you know, what what could have just been a gimmick. And as I said, I, I, I felt it had a lot more to say than your standard kind of thriller. Yeah. And like, it seemed to have a social message, you know, about social media, which um, it's not a new one, but it was, it was interestingly put forward. And, um, you know... The whole point of film is show, don't tell. Yeah. And the film really does show you. Um, th- th- there's nothing preachy about it. It's just... Um, and it's not anti-social media as such, but it's um, certainly... It sparks a conversation as to about you know, 
who we really are. And in this era, are we more ourselves on social media than we are in person? Yeah. Or are we less so? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's another film um, that I wasn't going to mention because it's not a new film, but I actually, on the fly, I'm going to mention here. I watched uh, last week Ingrid Goes West. Uh, do you heard of that one before? I've heard of it, yeah, but not seen it. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, I think it came out of last year's a indie film starring... Uh, oh, Christ, what's her name? Go from Parks and Recreation. Okay. I'm going to look that up quickly. Anyway, Ingrid Grows West is a absolutely skewering take on Instagram and Instagram culture, really. Essentially, you've got a mentally ill girl who becomes obsessed by somebody on Instagram and travels with her dead mum's money to basically imitate her life and get involved in her friendship group. Uh, with often hilarious but often you know just stomach churning cringe it's honestly one of the most savage um, criticisms of social media I've ever seen and I was often didn't know where to look it was so either cringy or um, (laughs) often funny as well though and actually I I didn't plan this as you can probably tell by the fact I'm yabbering but um, it does actually make an interesting bedfellow with searching in the sense that they're both talking about social media. Uh, they're both re- raising interesting interesting points. Um, but they are, they're not totally critical. They're more critical of how one would present ourselves on social media versus who we actually are. It's Aubrey Plaza, by the way, hmm. uh, who's the main star of it, who's excellent in it. Um, I would recommend Ingrid Grows West a lot more than Searching, but Ingrid Grows West you'll have to seek out because it's not um, not the cinema at the minute. Yeah, okay, cool, <clears throat> awesome. I'll have to check those two out. Yeah, they sound exciting. I'll see if that uh, Searching's on in the cinema somewhere nearby. Who knows? It may still be. It might it might have ended. Okay, now, but um, I said it's you know if you've got a few if you've got a few hours to kill, you just fancy a trip to the cinema. You could do a lot worse. It's re- it is a good film overall, but let down from being what it could have been. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Cool. We better go back to you then, Clive. Uh, I believe you've got another relative indie film to talk about. Um, I do. This one's uh, more easily available, uh, shall we say. Um, the next film I'm going to review is called Crowhurst, um, which is did uh, have some sort of cinema release. I didn't see it anywhere here. Um, I don't. I think it must have had quite a low-key release, but you can rent it pretty easily on... Uh, I think I got it off Google Play. Um, Donald Crowhurst's story um, has been kind of popular of late, uh, spanning spawning even two films released very closely to each other also with the mercy which was kind of a more bigger budget a more famous one um and uh, this uh, film which is comparatively low budget crowhurst um it tells the the true story of the titular man's attempt to kind of increase his stature in the world um of sailing to enable him to sell more of his sailing products it kind of opens in you know normal life he's uh, seems to be an inventor he's inventing things for sailors to buy uh, they don't seem to be selling that well and then there's this um i believe it's a the sunday times golden globe race um comes up in the paper where they're gonna give a you know big prize they're suggest they're wanting people to sail around the world without stopping and uh, and there's a big prize for the person who does it the fastest and obviously there'll be a lot of kind of um increase in stature and stuff uh, if you are one of the people who completes it um, i believe someone had just completed it with one stop in australia so they were kind of uh, pressing people to go one ahead of that and do it without stopping anywhere um so crowhurst kind of even though he's only an amateur sailor kind of gets taken away with this idea of oh brilliant this uh, if i do this then i'll be able to sell more of my uh, sailing things because i'll be famous and all that kind of stuff and he kind of the the start of the film is essentially about him telling his family and that they're struggling financially that he's going to do this um uh his wife obviously thinks it's a bit <laughs> a bit of a rash decision and there's he kind of tries to raise enough money to get this boat together and um, eventually manages it before um you know not too long into the film actually setting off but um the first part of the film I was a bit concerned because it's quite I didn't think the it just felt a bit overly theatrical. It felt like a... I'm not going to say EastEnders because that's uh, cutting it very low. Uh, but <laughs> a bit too East, too too EastEnders for my liking, if you know what I mean. Um, it felt like everyone was talking a bit too loudly, like it, like they were in the theatre and having to speak loudly. I was like, it's a film, you don't need to t- talk everything really loudly. Um, and it just yeah. seemed a bit yeah. off. But then um, as soon as he gets on the boat, the film's brilliant. 
um, it really redeems itself. It's this kind of, um, I don't know if many, I didn't know about the story of Crowhurst, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that basically he attempted to cheat um, and that's why he's so, why it's such a, a famous story, I guess. Um, it essentially attempted to cheat by uh, sort of hovering around one section and waiting for people to come back when it became clear to him that he couldn't manage it um, because he was just an amateur sailor and was in way above his head. But um, that that's not necessarily the, the, the part of the film that's interesting. What's really interesting is that... <laughs> It really, really um, shows brilliantly the kind of descent into madness of someone stuck on a boat um, just on his own. And it has these scenes of, and I'm told this is what the Mercy doesn't do very well, um, where it just covers just him and it's just his boring kind of routine and the boat uh, brushing his teeth, uh, having to pump out water to to, to wash his toothbrush and then... (laughs) Um, there's just kind of silence and sea everywhere and you kind of really feel this claustrophobic uh, feeling that he's got obviously stuck on this boat on his own I know a little bit I mean I've done I've been on a yacht trip um, it wasn't an expensive yacht it was a yacht that uh, nearly killed me in fact uh, from from uh, Colombia to no sorry from Panama to Colombia um, but that was you know just three days and I was with other people on the boat um, but it kind of really portrays this feeling of being at sea and on your own really, really well and makes it kind of almost feel a bit nightmarish. And the the director, whose name I've just... Um, oh, Simon something, I'm going to look it up, is a horror director primarily, so I get the impression that he kind of didn't really want to direct the start of the film, the kind of family stuff, um, but was really interested in this kind of being on the boat bit and that start bit was kind of just there to... Um, well to make the film make sense I suppose although I think it could have just started on the boat personally and kind of patched in the other bits as, as it went along but he's, he uses these kind of horror film methods to bring across something which isn't necessarily horror or not in the way that you'd normally think of it it's a, you know it's a biopic in <laughs> in many ways but it's yeah he just this descent into madness is perfectly portrayed with methods where you're like oh yeah that's like something out of a horror film but it works really really well like the starts to sort of voice in his head getting distorted and kind of really quick shots with sort of slightly horror horrific kind of sound effects and I don't know it's just I think that bit is brilliantly portrayed and it's I don't want to spoil it really but it's um where things go is really really interesting and um it's it's quite a harrowing story like I when I finished this I couldn't stop thinking about it for days and I looked up about stuff about it and you know the sort of remnants of the story that are still around today and um it's just really really dark but also really really fascinating and I mean, essentially, it was he was kind of very stupid and naive, but I don't know, there's something that's fascinating about people who just do something quite as stupid and naive as this. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it tends to happen quite often. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, yeah, it's a really, really good film, and f- from what I've heard, it's much better than The Mercy. I've not seen The Mercy, but I get the impression The Mercy kind of Hollywoodizes it uh, and makes it about this, you know, love relationship and blah blah blah. Which there, there is. He obviously loves his wife and stuff in it, but um, also he's kind of leaving his family behind to do this, which is also pretty, <laughs> pretty terrible to be honest. But yeah, a, a really fascinating story, and I think this is a really good way to watch it. And then I'd be surprised if you finished it and didn't want to find out more. Put it that way. It's yeah, mm. really really interesting. Yeah, I think I um, when you first mentioned this, I think I actually got it confused with the Mercy. Oh, okay. Um, it's funny how this happens, though. It seems to happen quite often, actually, where you get two films on the same subject yeah. within months of each other. Um, like, it happened with um, Winston Churchill films. You oh, had, yeah, it did, yeah. Uh, you had uh, Churchill, then you had Darkest Hour, which came out within about three months of each other. Mm-hmm. And it, it's happened... I can't remember what else it happened with, but it, there's a few examples of where they do that. And you have no idea why they would even consider that as a policy because you're always going to get one that completely out, outshines the other one you know um at least at the box office yeah exactly uh, who did you say stars in this one again um it's i didn't say um justin salinger that's a good point he's he's really great um once he gets off the <laughs> off the land and it's just him um i think his acting was really really fantastic and he brings across this yeah this kind of descent into madness really well which i think is something pretty difficult to do especially when it's like subtly over a subtly over a you know, period of time. Yeah, and I think he does that really, really well. I will find out the director's name quickly now because I think, I think, it's, I think it's Colin Firth. Is it Colin Firth in, in The Mercy, I think? Yeah, it's Colin Firth in The Mercy, yeah, and um, the lead lady's uh, 
famous as well, although I've forgotten who it is. And the cover's kind of them kissing, from what I know. <laughs> as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, so you kind of get the vibe there. I've not seen it, it might be good. But um, Simon Rumley is the director, who, like I say, is okay. a, a British uh, horror director, I believe. Okay, I'm not familiar with him, but... Um... Cool. I mean, it is an interesting story. As I've heard a lot more about the Mercy um, on another mm-hmm. podcast. Oh, okay. Um, um, don't I'm, I don't I can't remember what they thought of it, but um, I just remember them doing an interview with uh, Colin Firth about it. So I've I've heard about the the the, the Douglas Crowhurst story, but um, not in the context of this film. I think out of the two, you're, uh, this one sounds much more interesting, but. Um, yeah, might have to give it a go because it, it is it's it's a it's a complete example of madness. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- why on earth you would undertake that purely to sell some more gear? You know, it's or, or why you wouldn't give up once you'd realise that you were struggling. Yeah, that's the yeah. Well, that's the kind of well, the, the thing is he kind of mortgaged his entire house for it. Basically, well, I don't know how true it is, but that's what the film. And um, so basically, if he doesn't. If he doesn't come back, he's uh, he's, he's screwed. <laughs> In his contract, it says he must get back to get the, the to kind of get the money back. Um, so I think that's kind of what played into it. But the, I think he just dug himself a grave basically by by setting off on this thing in the first place. And kind of, I think he's just one of those people who's and they exist who like are just like supremely confident and and think, oh yeah, there's, you know, there's no worries. I'm going to manage this. There's no problem. Uh, and then when they sit off, <laughs> they're a bit like, oh, what have I done? I think I have elements of that, but not quite as bad as this. Uh. <laughs> no, I don't think you have that kind of arrogance. <laughs> no. <laughs> or I can't imagine it anyway. Um, right, okay. Um, well, the second one I'm going to talk about is... Um, I don't know what you call it, actually. I suppose it is a mainstream film because it's out in most cinemas, but it w- I would also describe it as an indie film in, in the same sense. Mm-hmm. It's called American Animals. Um, it's directed by Bart Layton, who people probably won't know that well, but I know from uh, The Imposter, which is one of my favourite documentaries of all time. It's a um, documentary with dramatised elements uh, about a... French con man who managed to convince a family who'd been had a missing child that he was their missing child. Yeah, that is a, it's a great film. Uh, <laughs> it's absolutely, just... if you have not seen it, it's a must watch. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Um, this film, American Animals, certainly takes things from from that film um, in the sense that while most of it is a dramatized standard film, it also cuts in interviews with not just the perpetrators of the crime that I'm about to tell you about, but also victims of it as well. Uh, and often blurs the line between them with some of the actual real people appearing briefly in in surreal moments in the film itself. Um, it's got a very low-key cast in general. It stars Evan Peters, who people probably best know from American Horror Story, but you might also know from the X-Men films as Quicksilver. Um, Barry Keehan, or I think that's how you pronounce his name, who I'd never seen before except in Dunkirk, where he's a small role. And uh, has a few other unknown faces, but and also it has Anne Dowd, who people will know from, um, you know, The Handmaid's Tale and a few other things. Um, basically, it tells the story of four college students in America who are at Transylvania University in Kentucky, who decide upon a plan to rob the university of some very rare and precious books. Uh, they seem to be under minimal security. Seems like it'll be an easy job where nobody has to get hurt. And suffice to say, in almost Coen Brothers-esque farce, it doesn't go to plan. It's a true story, almost entirely true from what I understand. It actually, the film actually opens up with a line where it says, this is mostly based on a true story, and then it kind of cuts away the words. No, sorry, I'm telling a complete lie. It says... This is not based on a true story. This is a true story. So from what I understand, it is pretty much told on the nose exactly as it happened. Um, it's a really, really interesting film, which sounds like it may be just a bit of a you know a jolly jolly boys outing uh, for a heist, which is certainly it. It feel it has elements of that at times. At times, it is a light-hearted heist movie where you know they're planning this heist and sometimes it's very funny because they're a bit farcical but then the film 
absolutely refuses to shine away from the fact that during this heist, they had to assault and tie up an old woman to uh, take these books. And it doesn't brush over the fact that their crime went from being uh, some kind of uh, adolescent heist into something quite nasty in the end. Um, and it doesn't let them off the hook as well because it has all four of the perpetrators doing interviews. They're all out of prison now. They all, suffice to say, they got caught for it. And um, the film really manages to toy with the audience in that respect. And that is kind of the twist in itself. The, the story goes more or less how you'd expect it to go. You know that they're not going to get away with it. Um, and you can pretty much guess how they're not going to get away with it. And you can you can guess how amateurish they're going to be. Uh, but that's not the point. The twists as such are in are in the tone of the film, are in the way the audience perceives what's happening, the performances of the characters, which can go from being overtly comic to very dark at times. And I was immensely impressed by this. Um, it was well-reviewed, um, but it was better than I expected. I mean, I should have expected something good from Bart Layton. Not that I'm somebody who's seen a lot of his films, but um, he's obviously an extremely talented filmmaker. Um, this, this is it's it, it's an interesting story, and I can't believe I hadn't heard of it before. Um, the film suggests, and the characters suggest, and you know the real people being interviewed suggest um, that the whole purpose was not necessarily to make millions of dollars, um, but to almost do something with their lives. Um, they talk about them being a generation with no great war or no great purpose. And they see this as their adventure as such, which is why it starts out, starts off as a caper as such, but, you know, uh, falls down a rabbit hole thereafter. Um, really good film. I said really funny at times, really dark at others. And I think the, the, the idea to make it not just a straight dramatization, but a dramatization with... Uh, interviews as well really works and um, you'll you'll see how accurate the casting is as well because you see the real people now don't get me wrong they don't look exactly as the real people did but you can see in their performances um, that there is some <laughs> real accuracy there uh, sort of with Michael our other film sticker around expert who was also a fan couldn't make today though um, one of my films of the year so far actually um, really snuck up on me thought it was going to be good didn't realise just how good it was going to be. Um, it's an absolute must for anybody who's a fan of the true crime documentary or a heist movie, uh, as it's a kind of a mismatch of both genres. Highly recommended anyway. Awesome. This sounds great. I'm going to have to check this out. I'd heard the name, but I didn't know what it was about at all. So <laughs> it sounds yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, what's funny about it is you, you can see it from their perspective in a way. I'm not, I, you know, I would never do a heist, obviously, but you can see it from their perspective. They see that these extremely rare books are only protected by one lock and one old woman, and there seems to be an early, you know, an easy exit as well. Um, but <laughs> the reality is, they're obviously all intelligent people. You know, they're all at college. It's a respected college. You know, they're not idiots. But it's easy to <laughs> to forget something really stupid. Like it's a minor spoiler, but at one point in the film, they use one of their own mobile phones, which has a voice recording of them as the answering machine when they're calling up um, a tip line. And it's just it's it's small things that they can't get right, and you know things don't go how you plan them to. No. You know? <laughs> Well, unless you plan it to the... Yeah, I guess you have to plan it to the absolute nth degree and even then something's going to crop up that you haven't thought of. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it doesn't work that often, though, does it? When you, well, at least when you hear about the, the high-profile ones. You think about the Hatton Garden robbery, which was made into what I understand is a pretty poor film at the minute. Um, you know, they got away with it, but then they got caught because they always do, or they seem to. And I can kind of see it from their perspective in the sense that, I mean, the tagline for the film is nobody wants to be ordinary. Mm -hmm. And I can I can see their perspective if they want to do something with their lives. They want to be, um, you know, have achieved something which is extraordinary. But, you know, the fact that they actually went through with it is mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the film suggests different responsibility for different characters. And often um, there'll be a, a scene in the film where... 
uh, something will happen, then it'll cut to an interview where somebody else contradicts and say, no, that didn't happen. And then they'll sh- they'll show another scene where it goes as the other character said it did. Okay. Which yeah. is interesting. So, which, you know, everybody sees things differently. And it's not so much to say that one of the characters is lying and the other one isn't. It's more of a case of people see things from different p- perspectives. People misremember things. People will often do mental gymnastics to take the blame away from themselves. Yeah. Um, when in reality they were all responsible. Um, I mean, they didn't do anything. I, I wouldn't call it truly terrible. Anything that they did, they did. But at the end of the day, they did. They did assault somebody, tie someone up. They did try and steal something rare, and yeah, they got what was coming to them. But I hope they didn't get paid for this movie. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm willing to, you know, say you can live your life now, but I don't want you to have profited from your crime. I'm guessing they didn't, to be honest with you. No, I doubt it. <laughs> no, it sounds fascinating. I love stuff like this where it's just like a bit weird, but um, yeah. And then looking into looking into the motives and things because on the it's an interesting story on the surface, but it becomes more interesting when you like delve into characters' motives and why yeah. they've done it. And- I mean, it's- it's interesting that they were able to get all four people to actually take part in this as well. Mm, yeah, um, you would have thought possibly it might be something they wanted to put behind them, you know, move on with their lives because they're all out of prison now. I think they've got seven years apiece. Yeah. Um, you know, from what I understand, all f- well, t- two of them are in good jobs now. One of them's a professional artist and the other one's gone back to college. So it's not like it's ruined their lives totally. Yeah. Which may maybe says something about their white privilege, by the way. But uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's something for, that's something for another podcast. But um, yeah, poss- <laughs> possibly an armed robbery wouldn't have gone this way uh, for somebody of color. But you know, no. Um, which um, on that on that point, minding the gap uh, makes that point quite well. Uh, there's an interview with Kier in there which uh, touches on that topic, and it's really really good. Mm. But yeah, crazy times. Cool. Did you have Clive? Did you, have you seen any other indie releases you'd like to talk? Um, I don't think I have. I'm just looking through. We've been kind of uh, watching uh, me, Cable, and Beck have been going through some random 90s and 80s <laughs> classics uh, or classics in inverted commas. Um, but I haven't seen. I don't think I've seen anything else. Um, I saw Thoroughbreds, which I've I've reviewed a couple on the website. If you go on there, Thoroughbreds, it was fine. Um, I think it could have been better. It was a bit flat for me. And um, the Netflix film To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is kind of a like a teen fiction romantic comedy, I suppose, which is pretty good, pretty good. I liked it. Um, the, lead, yeah. the lead character in it's good. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not amazing, but it's, it's a good one of those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's on Netflix, so easy to check out. Um, we watched... Um, oh, I went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp as well. Um, oh, okay. Which I know you, you reviewed. I think I think you reviewed it a while, a while ago. Um, I, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought there might, one criticism would be that there's too many storylines going on. I thought, but I, it's still one of my favourite Marvel franchises, and I absolutely love the the sidekick character. What's his name? Um, I've forgotten his name now, but he's bloody hilarious. Um, oh, the um, Michael Pena. Michael. Yeah, Pena. that's it. Yeah, Pena. He makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, he is brilliant. He's fabulous, and yeah, I really like. I like um, Paul Rudd, obviously. So yeah, it was. I enjoyed it a lot more more than I thought I was going to going in. So it was kind of what I expected, but in a good way. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, worth checking out, and definitely one of the better Marvel franchises, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, if the only other thing I'm gonna, I'm not going to do a full review of this. But the only one I'm going to talk about is a film I saw yesterday. Um, called The Little Stranger um, it wasn't really something that I would have gone to see necessarily because it's not really my sort of thing uh, it's a period setting drama uh, set just after World War 2 I believe but it feels even more period um, based on where it's set um, the main the main draw to me was the fact it was directed by Lenny, Lenny Abramson who last two films were Frank which I thought was superb and Room, which I also thought was Ooh, super. Wow. Okay, yeah. Also has a really good cast: Donald Gleeson, Ruth Wilson, Will Poulter, and Charlotte Rampling. Um, it's basically a story. It's basically a ghost story, but more than that, it's a story about the class system, class system in Britain, or at least as it was uh, back in the nineteen forties. So essentially, um, Donald Gleeson plays a character called uh, Fa- Doctor Faraday, who gets called to the house to 
deal with an illness for one of the servants who claims that the house is haunted. Um, the other characters seem to be very withdrawn. It's a kind of a big manor house, by the way. And he seem, he takes it upon himself to, to, to right the wrongs he sees that are going on in the house. See, Dr. Faraday's kind of fetishized their existence in this huge manor house, and he desperately wants to be there himself, having seen it as a child. And meanwhile, sort of ghostly things seem to be going on, or are they going on? Um, it seems unclear. Um, I thought it was an interesting film, actually. Um, I think more interesting when when it talks about the class structure or alludes to it, in the sense that um, how aspirational the character is and how it's corrupted him. Um, but it works as a ghost story as well, without being overtly scary, necessarily. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say go out of your way to watch it, but it's an interesting film. It's very well made, as, as you'd expect, by Lenny Abrahamson. But, um, and Donald Gleason is always good value for money. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it blew my, blew my mind, um, but it certainly... It, it it was worth a watch. It was more of a classical style ghost film, as I said, with class overtones. Uh, cracking cast, though. You can't. I mean, how can you argue with that cast? Yeah, you can't really, can you? <laughs> yeah, this sounds like uh, something I might go and check out if it's one of the free free options. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I think some people. I went with another person who liked it about about as much as I did. I think it's if you don't like period, even though it's set in the forties, which. To me, that I know that is period, but to me, that isn't period. Yeah. Do you know what I mean yeah, by that? Yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. I, I kind of consider period anything pre-1900. Yeah, um, it's the same. <laughs> but I, I think the fact that it's set in this grand old manor house, which is a lot older than that, and this this cla- the whole class system is so on show, to me, it feels even more period. So it's not necessarily my kind of thing, but... Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was certainly worth a watch. Um, I, like we said at the start of the pod, it's been a bit of a quieter time for, um, at least for films that yeah. are in the mainstream. And that's those those films I've just talked about there are the three new new releases, at least, that I've seen since we last talked. I was considering going to see Predators, but I got a little bit put off by a few things, but yeah, it just didn't look that great. And I think possibly we should leave it to the classic which spawned the name for this podcast. Uh, you know, <laughs> let, let it rest. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's that great. I might go see it if I get bored and <laughs> need something yeah, to whip away to. Yeah, I, I still might, yeah. But, but yeah, it doesn't sound like it's fantastic, which is a shame. They could have done with, um, I don't know, so the first one was, was the first one called Just Predator, and then this one's The Predator. Yeah, yeah well, there was Predator, there was Predator 2. Yeah, now there's The then Predator. Then there was Predator. Pr- no, no, there was Predators as well, don't forget Oh, that. yeah, I don't, I've seen that one. Like, yeah. And then this is The Predator, yes. Really, that's even more confusing, confusing the Purge titles. Yeah, know? I'd say so. At least, <laughs> because at least the Purge titles generally had other words other than the word Purge. This one is yeah. just the word Predator repeat, repeated over and over again, different variations. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I possibly might have seen it by the next time we do a film pod, and I may talk about it, but a um, little bit put off it. It just didn't look all that great. Um, Who's in it? Is there anyone? I don't think there's anyone of really any oh, okay. note in it. Interesting. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. They need to get a, no, they need to get the rock, the rock in. Yes, The Rock would have been great. As <laughs> If you're going to get somebody, really, if you're looking for Arnie's natural successor... Yeah, know, I think that, The Rock, the rock is that man. <laughs> Who do you get to play the Predator, though? You had Dolph Lundgren in the suit before. You need someone... Uh, oof. Who's oh, a kind of Dolph? Someone fit... John Cena. Maybe get... <laughs> John Cena, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would work. That would work. Needs to be a wrestler anyway. <laughs> he doesn't need to do all that oh. much acting, so he'll be all right. Not that I've seen John Cena yeah. acting, but... No. Yeah, I mean, he might be good. Probably not, but... Uh, who knows? Um, right, cool. Well, I mean, I think that about wraps us up for this one. It's just a two-person job. Yeah. Um, we'll be back next time with definitely three. We'll make sure Michael Johnson is here. Um, we will. There'll probably be some more you, stuff. What's um? Do you know what's coming out uh, over the next couple of months now? Um, I do. In, t- in terms of main, in terms of mainstream releases. Yeah. I mean, in terms of indie ones, they tend to sneak up on me, and then you know, if I can see them, I'll see them. But 
I know the new Venom film is out um, soon, okay. October the 5th, which I don't think looks very good, but is being pushed very heavily. Have you seen the trailer at all? I have, yeah. It's kind of the same opinion as you. <laughs> I mean, Not the fact pulling me in, Tom- really, but if it's if people I mean, say it's good, I'll go watch it. <laughs> I mean, it's got Tom Hardy in, yeah. so, you know, and he doesn't seem to make that many bad decisions with the films he does, but who knows, maybe he was just given a, a you know, bucket full of cash and <laughs> yeah. he said yes um, Bad Times at the El Royale is out the week after that that looks interesting, have you seen the trailer for that? No I've not, no what's that about? Um, it's got a huge cast um, Chris Hemsworth uh, John Hamm various other people um, Nick Offerman um, it's basically, it's set at some from what I understand, set at some motel which straddles two states or mm-hmm. maybe even three states it seems to be a bit of a crossover point for crime. It looks like a highly stylized kind of crime film. Um, it, oh, okay. it looks to be cool. pre- pretty tongue-in-cheek from what I can see, but it looks interesting. Um, aside from that, ooh, we're, maybe, we're getting into Oscar season maybe in in November. Yeah. If you're looking at things like First Man, the, um, the Neil Armstrong film, uh, yeah. the moon landing film even. Um, which is not normally something that would fascinate me that much, but it's directed by the director of Whiplash. Is it? Oh, okay, yeah. La La Land. Yeah, so I'm hoping that'll be good. You've also got Widows coming out, uh, which is the latest Steve McQueen film, which seems to be a bit of a about turn from him, somebody who did, obviously, 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, which are all very serious subject films because, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a proper artist. This one is a, is a crime film, crime caper film almost, uh, about the widows of some bank robbers who decide to complete the job that they never could. Been well reviewed though. And then you're getting into a whole host of big Oscar films and big, you know, Christmas releases, things mm-hmm. like the latest Harry Potter film or Fantastic Beasts, whatever you want to call it. Sequel to Wreck It Ralph, which I was a fan of the first one. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And there's a few others as well, and then we're kind of bleeding into next year. Uh, we'll have to see. Is there any? Is there any film in particular that you're looking forward to? Um, there's nothing with films. I tend to, like you say, they kind of jump up on me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's out, awesome. Or I'll see a trailer and then get <laughs> excited about it. But there's not been anything on, in my last few cinema trips where the trailer's been like, yeah, I want to see that. So there's nothing really. But I'm sure stuff will jump up um, on me. It, it, quite often, it's usually when I some I see some review on Twitter or something and click on it, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, so often it's yeah. more like indie, low-key stuff that no one's talking about as such. But that does just kind of jump up on you, like you say, because I think quite often it's just, it's not, it's hard to kind of push it particularly because of, the like, it, they are released at such different times quite often in the US or even in <laughs> different countries to here. So it's weird sometimes. Like something could have been out like, you know, eight months ago in the US and then suddenly it appears here and there's suddenly a big deal about it and you're like, oh yeah, I remember people going on about that. I think that's particularly the case with indie films. I suppose because they need to get um, dis- distribution deals and stuff like that. I know, um, Sorry to Bother You, the film that Michael was really interested in, is coming out towards the end of the year. That's the Boots Riley film. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, which seems to have been a bit of a, almost like a follow-up piece to Black Klansman. Uh, they've certainly been competing for, for the Oh, I remember, yeah, the uh, one he mentioned, yeah, sure. That sounds good. It looks pretty interesting. I know, um, yeah, I know Michael's excited for that. I'm a, a little bit excited, and not not sure why, for the sequel to Mary Poppins. <laughs> okay. I don't know why. I saw the trailer the other day, and <clears throat> I, think it, I think it's just because Emily Blunt just seems to be Judy Garland. Yeah. So... Yeah, that could be know, good. You know what? Is it a, you know, is it a remake, just, or is it a sequel? No, no, it's a sequel, which okay, is better, well, I think. Actually, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd ra- as much as sometimes I don't want to see a sequel, I would rather see them attempt a sequel than just remake a classic. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll see. Anyway, we'll see. Right, I think it's probably the time for let's drop all pretense of us trying to make some bad joke. <laughs> okay. Endorsement corner. I'm going to count you in from three. Then I want to hear a burst of energy from your crowd. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> Jesus. So psych yourself up. I want to hear. I've run out of coffee, you know, but okay. Poo, 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 poo. <laughs> Come on, do some air, air punches. Air punches. <laughs> Who the man? Psych. Who the man? Who the man? 
three, two, one, go. Plug time. Get in contact with the show. Stick around podcast at gmail.com or stick around podcast.com slash contact for a form you can fill out and it goes to the right podcast. Stick around podcast.com for articles. I've been writing reviews of all the stuff I've uh, been watching. I'm hopefully going to put one up for Minding the Gap. And um, you can find other stuff on there like our top lists of 2017 um, and all the episodes of the podcast. At Stick Around Cost Cast on Twitter, we post on there when new episodes go up when new articles go up so if you want to kind of keep tabs on everything going on then i'd say that's the best place um slash stick around podcast on facebook if you don't have twitter and you just want to do it on facebook instead it's exactly the same as twitter it gets regurgitated (laughs) there's nothing extra but if you give us a like on there that'll be awesome um and stick around podcast on instagram if you want to see some pictures we've also got a just giving page on justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around where you can um Put some money, uh, raise some money in our name for shelter to help uh, with the old home- homeless crisis in England, uh, which would be much appreciated. Um, rather than a Patreon, we thought we'd help uh, some people out who needed it. And yeah, I think that's it. I'll go on iTunes, give us. I know no one pretty much uses iTunes, even though all podcast apps uh, get it from iTunes, as far as I'm aware. Um, if you could go on to actual iTunes and give us a review, that would be amazing because it really, really helps. Um, whenever whenever someone does that, we see our numbers uh, go up a bit. So it'd be really useful if you did that. Uh, but, you know, five star or one star, nothing in the middle. And, yeah, yeah that, that about covers it, I think. I believe it does. Um, well, it should have really been the turn of TV shows. Um, yeah. But with Clive not being a heavy TV user, we can't do a two-man version. So... Please send in some fan pressure to make James Cable come back because he's been really lazy recently. Yeah, um, sort him out. He watches a lot of TV because he's got nothing else to do. <laughs> um, so let's yeah, let's get him back. Um, at Cable, I want to get him. Yeah. <laughs> other than that, we, we might be back with music, but again, that might require him. We'll have to see. Um, but anyway, we'll be back soon. Um, on the TV note, I have watched back. Handmaid's Tale. I know this is the wrong podcast. Oh, of course. Um, absolutely well, superb. talk about it. Go for it. Why not? <laughs> um, well, I don't want to talk about it in depth, but absolutely superb. Loved it. Um, yeah. I think it's fantastic, and I like the way it kind of ties in with current events, particularly in the second season. I think they've kind of deliberately done that a bit. Um, I think it worked really well. You kind of see the stuff like the stuff to them that is back in time is kind of some of the things that are happening now <laughs> uh, and i think it's yeah. a really kind of striking way to be like well you know you're doing this stuff this is where it could end up um, and i don't think it's too far-fetched at all um, i could see and it's just yeah amazingly affecting the lead um role whose name i keep forgetting because i'm an idiot but you know is it uh, elizabeth, elizabeth moss, moss. Am I making that? oh yeah. i didn't i did remember it yeah uh, she's absolutely superb as is pretty much everyone else. I mean, Anne Dowd's really good. She's the... Uh, Aunt Lydia. Yeah, that's it. Aunt Lydia, isn't she? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and it's just it's shot beautifully. It's very slow, but I think in a way that is suits the TV show, I think it's good that it's like that. It really kind of draws out scenes of uh, where you'd kind of just... <laughs> it's just like, it's painful to watch, but that's the point. And I think yeah. in particular, the in the second season the opening scene in I don't want to spoil it too much but it's in set in the old baseball stadium is one of the most yes. striking things I think I've ever seen on in in a film or, or on TV I think uh, absolutely amazing I think it says everything that me and Michael have hyped this to hell for you and you've still really enjoyed it because often when, some, <laughs> when you hear it in your ear all the time oh this is brilliant this is brilliant oh, yeah, yeah. often you almost don't want to like it because you're sick of hearing mm. about it uh, but I'm glad that you've been able to like this in spite of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, when I heard people talking about it, I could tell immediately that even though I'm not that into TV, this was the kind of thing that I would like. Um, and yeah, I do absolutely love it. It's, yeah, I love that it doesn't pull any punches. It's brutal, but there's also kind of underlying, a lot of underlying humanity in there. And I think it's quite inspirational in a way to kind of make you want to go out and, you know, do something about what's going on and mm. kind of. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's brilliant. I think, um, and I've mentioned this in a Twitter conversation with Michael, that everyone should be forced to watch, particularly the first season, because I think it has, um, certainly in my recollection, the strongest, certainly the strongest fictional um, uh, depiction of someone being a refugee from somewhere and what that must be like. 
there's one particular episode which I was just like, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. It doesn't uh, Hollywoodize it at all. It's just what that's like, and you know how much of a shit you must be if you are someone who thinks that that person is illegal and deserves to go in jail or be separated from their kids or any of that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, I think if you watch this and still yeah. think that, then well, you've got problems. But I think a lot of the time well, people think this and don't really. They just think they just think of people as stats, and it's like. You need to watch something like this, and then you really... Obviously, it's fictional, but you really grasp that. As a non-fictional version, I'd say watching... Um, oh, bloody Fire on the... I can't remember what it's called now, that film I really loved. <laughs> yes, I remember that. The one on the Italian island, yeah, was it? Yeah, it's something like Fire on the Water. Fire at Sea. Fire at Sea, fire at sea it, wasn't yeah. it? Excellent. That's brilliant. But certainly cool. this is... Must, must watch, I'd say. I think if people should watch one thing, then it should be this. Like me. <laughs> yes. Go ahead and watch... Right, well, we may talk about that in more detail on the next TV yeah, pod. Maybe. We might have a big Handmaid's Tale conversation. Uh, thank you very much for coming, Clive. You're welcome, Al. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, uh, thank thank you, Al, for coming. Yeah, you're welcome, <laughs> Al. You're welcome. Um, Good job. I said we'll be back soon. Um, thank, and thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, yes. Remember to stick around. Stick around. Cool. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around